How do you get started in a career in technology? What makes a great salesperson? And how do you pick a company to invest in? These are some of the questions we ask old friend of Fortune's Path, Adam Zays, salesman and investor extraordinaire, on this episode of the Fortune's Path podcast. I'm Tom Nozer. Adam started in technology at the dawn of the PC. His first product was an innovative package, an IBM AT with Windows and Excel to create an executive dashboard that sold over a million dollars in its first three months. Adam went on to become employee number 19 and only the second non-developer at Atria, a software company fixing the problem of managing distributed development teams. Atria eventually went public and Adam went on to join other early stage companies in a variety of marketing and sales roles. Adam tells us about how he picks early stage companies to invest in, how he got into technology, and how one thing leads to another in career and life on this episode of the Fortune's Path podcast. <laughs> I'm here with my good friend, Adam Zace. Am I pronouncing, is it Zace or Zace? Zace. Yep. Zace. Yeah, you can tell how good, how good a friend is. I still don't know how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> it's one of those Ellis Island specials. You know, oh. a, a family came from Eastern Europe. They couldn't pronounce it. And so they shortened it. And then they, uh, the family changed it. Uh, I happen to be adopted into that family. So mm-hmm. genetically... Uh, yeah, I'm not related to the name, but uh, right. it is it is my name, Zace. Do you, yeah, do yeah. you know the original name? Um, not really. It's something like Zazalovsky or Zazakalovic. You know, something. Yeah, something vaguely. Slavic. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Russian, but that's not a good thing to say. Not a good thing. <laughs> I get. Um, so on 9/11, I was traveling. Oh, and boy. I got picked up by uh, – I was taking a cab away from the airport in D.C. And the cabbie who got me said he was Persian. And I said, well, I always tell – I'm actually Iranian, but I always tell people I'm Persian because I know Americans don't like Iranians. Um, so there you go. Now you'll have to introduce yourself as being Slavic. Right. <laughs> Although I'm a Viking, uh, you know, from oh. the, the – or. I got a lot of English, Irish, Swedish, Danish, German. So it's a definitely a Viking DNA, and the the Viking DNA sort of uh, is all over. If you're if you're from Europe, Northern Europe, you're Northern or Western Europe, you have Viking DNA. So it's not like it's not like yeah, ooh, it's not ooh. a rare thing. <laughs> like, ooh, he's a Viking. But uh, uh, anyway, have you done the the twenty three and Me? I did Ancestry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do know. I know this is off topic, but you, you can right. you can cut this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this will be on the cutting room floor. No. I, I do actually know. Uh, my birth mother died recently. Uh, she died not mm-hmm. recently, but uh, I, and I got to meet half sisters and and uh, three half sisters and, and a half brother. Um, my parents that adopted me and I call mm-hmm. them my parents they have always lived in the same town uh, uh, in in Westchester uh, County mm-hmm. New York mm-hmm. and my birth mother was it, it was easy for her to find them at, at some point and uh, about 20 plus years ago she finally reached out uh, to uh, my mother and said hey I want to talk to Adam and so forth and so I've Got to know them and 
one of my sister and uh, my half sisters sort of prompted me to do the ancestry thing. So, oh, cool. I did answer it. Yeah. That's, um, it's amazing. Um, I think, uh, we, we take it for granted that people know who their parents are. Um, and biologically speaking, hang on. I got to tell my, my wife that I'm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to do that. Uh, so, on the expectations for pod, uh, your your yeah, that's right. Turn off your phone. Yeah. Tell your tell your spouse. Uh, yeah, tell your spouse. So, uh, yeah. uh, anyway, okay. Well, I will start again. We're good. Adam, it is wonderful to see you. I am so excited to talk to you today. Thanks about Tom. investing in small companies and about sales. I'm. I am. I must say. I'm a great admirer of your life. When you tell me sort of what you, how you've gone about what you do, I always get a slight twinge of jealousy that I haven't been that clever or that brave. Um, so I want to, I do want to know how do you pick? First of all, what was your first job? How did you get started in technology and in uh, startups? Uh, thank you. Wow, Tom, that's. Uh, <laughs> that, that's uh, uh, very humbling uh, set of statements. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I've gotten to know you a little bit through through our work through you know Wistia, as mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll get to. Mm -hmm. But um, thank you very much for that. Um, this is this is it's it's fun to do this, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Great question. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, brave. What was the other word you used? Uh, clever. Clever. Smart. Yeah. So, my first job out of college, I was brave enough to ask my father for help. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, uh, long and the short of it, uh, the, I, I, my first job was um, in New Jersey, actually. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I worked at a, a factory that made lighting equipment in Union, New Jersey. It was part of the same uh, – that, that division was part of the same conglomerate that my father's company uh, had been acquired by. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's how I was able to get the interview. I, I believe mm -hmm. I got the job because of the interview. I didn't get the job because of my dad. At least he told me about, hey, mm -hmm. maybe this. Mm -hmm. And this was in the early 80s, uh, like 1981, I believe. Mm -hmm. And – at the at the factory, the we were putting the the, the company was putting in, and uh, at the time was called an MRP system. So this is a raised floor IBM forty three hundred uh, kind of environment. You know these mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. uh, punch card system lo loader and so forth. So I I uh, got invo got involved as one of the representatives from first the inside sales department and then part of the production control department. Um, I got put on the team that was sort of writing all the procedures for what would the MRP system do, keep mm -hmm. track of inventory and so forth. So I got interested in computers at that at that point. And uh, the next job I had had nothing to do with manufacturing. It was mm -hmm. because I was interested in computers. Yeah. So um, I got into it. I don't know what I don't know how clever I was, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, that ex- that that exposure, I said, this is this is really interesting, more so than than the stuff that was going on in the factories. Now, factories yeah. are fascinating places. Yeah. Uh, but the computerization of the information that is contained or generated by the factory and so forth was. I thought also fascinating. I wanted to know how it worked too. The computer, I didn't know much about it. So I began to go back to school at night for uh, classes in computer science and uh, beginning to learn how to code in arcane and uh, archaic languages now, things like Fortran and BASIC Mm -hmm. and Pascal and whatnot. Um, So that... That early exposure in my first job, to the, the, mm-hmm. I, I decided I was going to follow the computer industry. I had moved back to Boston, um, and around Boston at that time were all the mini computer companies: Digital, yeah. Data General, Prime, Computer Vision. Yeah. And uh, so I just, I. I made the decision that I was going to be in that industry somehow. And uh, so I ended up finding a job at a software company that uh, was making software for HP 3000s, and mm-hmm. also in, in the, uh, the manufacturing area. So it was still called MRP at the time. And I had also gotten an APIC certification. So the, the, the confluence of the manufacturing because uh, that's what my dad's company was, it's a yeah. manufacturing company, and I was exposed to that early on. My interest in building things and my interest in the computer sort of counting things <laughs> um, <laughs> led me to that, and that's that's how I got into it. What was the software you were selling? Well, you saw, I made an assumption that you were selling software. That may be wrong. Uh, it's, I was at that time. I was yes. The, the company was selling a an MRP product called Growth Power. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was literally inventory, bills of materials, uh, finance, you know, all the stuff that you would see in a modern, uh, you know, Oracle or mm-hmm. SAP or, mm-hmm. or things like that. And it was aimed at mid-sized manufacturing companies, and mm-hmm. it was specific to the HP 3000. So yeah. if if a company was interested in buying a, a, a digital equipment, VAX or something, or yep. PDP, mm-hmm. We, we couldn't compete mm-hmm. because we didn't mm-hmm. – it was all HP basic, and it was millions and millions of lines of code. The term at the, was called spaghetti code. Every, all, yeah. uh, everything was mm-hmm. – there was nothing that was um, you know, object-oriented or anything. Right, was, right. Uh, all the routines, everything was hard-coded, uh, all the screens, uh, all the mm-hmm. reports, uh, et, et cetera. So it was – if you were into it, if you were willing to buy an HP three thousand, then you might be willing to buy this. Yeah. Um, I happened to be at the, the director of marketing at, at that company initially, and then sort of ran distributors. And um, it actually, my first introduction of a new product came yeah. at that company. And what we, if you can remember those times, this was the mid eighties now. Getting information out of a database application like that. Now, people didn't necessarily call an MRP system a database application, right. but there, you know, there was a database. There's a lot of data, in, and and it, if you wanted to ask questions of the database that were not imagined, 
to be mm-hmm. asked by the programmers, you were kind of out of luck. Yep. You, you didn't. There was. You could. You could run. You could press a button and get. Okay, how many widgets in blue do we have? But you, <laughs> you might want to ask mm-hmm. a more more evolved question than that. And so we we built this mm-hmm. uh, at the time. Uh, there were there were things like report writers and quiz. I forget. Quiz was was a like a scripting language that uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was was out at the time, and uh, uh, Microsoft the the IBM PCs were just c- coming out. They were very very early. Um, I'm trying to remember the version. We had like Windows three one or something. So we 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 had we had a bunch of things. We had personal computers that were just beginning to mm-hmm. uh, be a thing, and we we had this new this new spreadsheet called Excel mm-hmm. uh, uh, available to us. And we had uh, this, this report writer quiz. And we, of course we had, you know, growth power with, with all this, all this data in it. And we decided we were going to build a product and the product was going to consist of, a, I think it was an IBM AT mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. at the time running Excel and it was like the you know Windows three one or something. Or I don't even know mm-hmm. if it was called Windows. Yeah, I guess it was called Windows. And um, you remember this was the when you booted up the computer, it sort of went through all the you know all the memory sectors very slowly. Yes, <laughs> and it would take some time to. Anyway, we we created a product that we called Power Station, and what we we packaged it as you not only if you bought the the pro- the product you'd get the computer. The yeah. PC, uh, yeah. and you'd get. We built a custom. Uh, we 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 extracted a, a bunch of data into and dumped it into Excel, and pre-formatted what we called the President's Report, and this was uh, really in the days of uh, most customers had ASCII terminals, you know, sort of mm-hmm. amber mm-hmm. or green mm-hmm. or whatever, and all of a sudden they could see things in some really colorful graphics and so forth. And we basically said at the, at the, you could run this report every day at the end of the day, uh, and it would answer five questions, like um, inventory on hand, uh, money on hand. It, it was sort of basically in growth power was this information that was, if you could but extract you get it, to it. And, and sort of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, bring it up a level of um, uh, uh turn data into information and yep. put it on a quick and mm-hmm. easy to, to visualize report, we thought mm-hmm. we had something. And in in the, the first month we went to uh, to sell it, we mm-hmm. sold about a million dollars of this, uh, of in this a product. Month? Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, the first quarter. The first quarter okay. of sales. And it mm-hmm. was... You it, were cooking. It, we, we thought, <laughs> oh, this is, this is great. And yeah. um, that was... That I, I began to, I really got charged up by the idea of productizing something. It, it was we mm-hmm. were actually selling, and, and we we I, I designed this program the, or a marketing program we called Back to the Base, and mm-hmm. we were selling this obviously to our mm-hmm. installed base. The, mm-hmm. It wouldn't. It, this wasn't a product that we could sell to anybody else. We could only. No, they already sell had it to bought from you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And. In sales, as you know, the cliche goes, it's much easier mm-hmm. to sell something to someone who's already bought something from you, yep. um, for a variety of reasons. It's not always the case, but it's it's often mm-hmm. the case. Mm-hmm. And that product did very very well. 
and I got I got a, I guess another bug. So the first bug was computers, uh, mm-hmm. the, the computer industry. I sort of wanted mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. in something that I thought was hot. And mm-hmm. uh, dare I say hip at the time I could I could mm-hmm. probably call myself hip because I was young enough. <laughs> and then then we we put this product out and I said, oh man, making a product is yes, of course I was working at a company that made a product, but this is I, I took this thing and I had a team to help me. Was, mm-hmm. There are three or four of us that that really did something that was spectacular in, in, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. for the company, certainly that mm-hmm. career. Now, mm-hmm. the downside of this story is, of course, you run out of the base. Yes. <laughs> you know, so, yes. So mm-hmm. we would, we, we had to, we had to figure out how to, how to, uh, over time, uh, mm-hmm. sort of not just rely on revenue from this thing that mm-hmm. was sort of a standalone or like an mm-hmm. option, but to, mm-hmm. to sort of, Hey, this is maybe a path forward to how, how the, the uh, product it's uh, the, the main product the company was selling might evolve. And, um, that was a larger, larger set of minds brought yeah. to bear on that. But, uh, the, the power station thing was a lot of fun. Only and thought the, of subscription pricing from the very beginning. Yep. Uh, that, that, that was, uh, of course, this is, we're so, we're so stuck, you know, this was the, at the cusp of the transition really from mini computers yep. to, you know, more, per, you know, the personal computers and yep. uh, from applications that were uh, sort of long and hard to build to applications that might, that might be uh, not take as long and not be mm-hmm. as hard to build, but mm-hmm. arguably it had more value because the, it's, because of it was the intention of the product mm-hmm. was cl- more closely matched what the audience really wanted. I, I absolutely love that story uh, for a number of reasons. One is it's very similar to my dad's story um, where he was selling a product to in finance uh, on, on transaction measurement and you got an IBM PC along with it. And which to me at the time seemed like a total waste because you were supposed to be playing games on that thing. Um, and uh, the, uh, the, so many of the foundational elements of software today, you know, the way we sell SaaS resonate with me with what you did there. Um, one of them is the marketing terms haven't changed a bit. I love, what was it, Power Station and um, growth power? What was it? Growth. Yeah, the product. Yeah. So I didn't come up with yeah. the name growth power. That was mm-hmm. the, the. But I named this mm-hmm. this thing because we mm-hmm. at the time there was also workstation. I think was yeah. The, oh a, yeah, a, workstation a was a term, right? And so I Power said, hey, why don't we just mm-hmm. jam two things together? I mean, yeah. blindingly obvious. Really, <laughs> That's too, right. right. <laughs> but the, the other thing I love about that is you're essentially reselling somebody their own data. Um, and, and that was that, mm-hmm. that was one of the eye-opening things for the company. It was like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. they already have mm-hmm. this data, right? But they, they, they don't know they, they have it. They can't extract it in a way that is is more meaningful. Yes. To to sort of a uh, well running the running the business. The, right. the an MRP system is great for the production control people and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the the purchasing people and and right. and uh, the the, the well, there, there are there there are a million healthcare startups essentially following that business model. So a uh, an electronic health record is good for producing a bill and not much else. Uh, 
Uh, and so there are people who are like, oh, we're going to help the doctors make better decisions by extracting information from the health information record. Or we're going to prevent uh, infections inside the hospital by extracting information from the health information record because nobody can get anything out of it. So there's a whole ecosystem built around that. Um, the other thing I love about that story is you took existing technologies. You took Excel, you took the PC, you took your own product, and you put them into a, a sandwich that was a new thing. Uh, and that was, it, that was the innovation. The innovation wasn't a technical innovation. It was an understanding of the capacity of those technologies to do something else. And then the last thing I love about that story is that you, was it the president's report? You approached it from the point of view of the economic buyer and what's something that they will immediately recognize value in. Every day I can get an answer to five key questions that I struggle with. And this is gonna make my life so much happier. That, that strat go-to-market strategy of the dashboard for the economic buyer is still super viable. <laughs> right, I mean, I, I didn't, when you put it in that terms, it's, there's, I would be reluctant to draw. Uh, this is the point of origin for you know many things that that, <laughs> that came after. But uh, and because who who knows uh, yeah. what, you know, what we think of as being derivative of ideas. But I, I can tell you that the reports that were available at a growth power would be the the kind of thing you printed on an eleven by seventeen fan fold green bar, yeah. um, online you know dot matrix printers. It would take yeah. you'd have to submit that job at night, um, mm -hmm. and the idea of a graphical and very very specific set of uh, you know, speeds and feeds, if you will, for a manufacturing mm -hmm. company and use, like mm -hmm. you say, for the economic buyer. We, mm -hmm. because we de generally didn't sell to the, to to that to the president really, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and this was something that that uh, certainly engaged the the right the the right people in uh, in the companies that that we that we called our customers. And it absolutely turned something that was hard. It was not a lot of fun to look at, uh, mm -hmm. ASCII terminals, to something mm -hmm. that was there was a lot of fun to look at at the time. That's so cool. And, yeah, and then anyway, so it was a great experience, yeah. and it, it led me to um, continue in in my quest to continue to uh, to find uh, companies that were doing what I. I think in hindsight, I, I would call this, you know, I don't know if I thought about it and like, like, oh, I have to go find innovative companies. But so I, I said, I've always wanted to do this, this software product thing. Mm -hmm. And I always want to be with people or, or, comp or at companies that are pushing the envelope of what's new. Yeah. And I was, I think one of the things that is fair to say is, because I was in Boston at that time, the ability to be lucky was sort of the was there. I mean, yeah, location a, has so much to do. Yeah, with there, there was the uh, as as things moved from 
many computers to you know, to client server to desktops and uh, mm-hmm, ultimately mm-hmm. phone apps. So I couldn't necessarily, I could certainly couldn't see that far in the, in the future. Right, right. There was just so much going on in mm-hmm. in Boston, like there was in in, in New York and DC, and, and certainly mm-hmm. you know Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. But um, I was very fortunate to. You know, from a timing perspective and, and uh, from a location perspective to be in yeah. that environment. So it was uh, the, the, the things I chose subsequently, you know, seemed to work out. <laughs> and it, it was, it, I, I would, I would, it's really just because of it was the, that environment. The, yeah. There was just so many, it was, it was like a palpably buzzing kind of environment. Um, there's there's yeah. lots of research that says that that um, proximity is very important to innovation. So that you having a, a community that has a, um, a, a core of talent and sharing ideas. So first job I had, um, first real job I had after I got my master's in ed was uh, at a research center, an education research center. Mm-hmm. And um, being with a bunch of PhDs, you know, postdocs, people getting their PhD was really interesting. And all of the best stuff I've learned in the course of my career, the most important ideas I've gotten in my career, I got in those four years at that uh, innovative uh, – there we were investigating how people learn. And, That's fascinating. Um, yeah, it was. It was really fascinating. It was uh, – I was there when Netscape first became a thing. And so our sort of mantra was we'll put it on the internet. Every th- we were going to solve all of education by putting it on the internet. And um, – but it was it – was, um, so we were working with laser discs. Um, and to tell you, like, where we were. For your audience, you will have to define a laser disc. Uh, you're right. <laughs> so a laser disc is like a great big DVD. Um, and uh, it, was a, it was something that audiophiles or people who are really into video would, would buy because it had a better picture and sound than a VHS tape. Uh, but the reason we were interested in them is that you could put in the exact part of the, of the disc, the story or the movie that you wanted to get to, and you could go right to that. Because uh, we were building um, uh, these very elaborate uh, problems that have, we called an embedded data design. So I'm sort of butchering this, this description. I'll try to um, get it a little clearer. Anyway, we, we just, what we were working on the theory is, was that um, learning something in a context makes a lot more sense than learning it in abstraction. The classic example is logarithms. So uh, people learn logarithms, they have no idea what they're for. Well, logarithms, when they were created, were a boon to astronomers because they're very useful for doing ex, uh, uh, complicated computations, long uh, multiplication, etc. So if I'm trying to figure out an orbit, a logarithm is super helpful than having to do it by hand, but nobody knows what they're for. Um, and so we would produce these um, stories, and in the course of the story, it would be something like, oh, the eagle got killed and uh, was shot in the woods, and you have to get the eagle back to the vet as fast as possible. What's the best way to do that? And so the kids would have to, oh, we're going to have to use a glider. And this, this glider goes this fast, and it can go, it's got this much headwind or this much tailwind. And it was, it was a, obviously, it was a ton of fun. And, um, but some of our insights were very basic and are still totally valuable. So that, that was a very long digression to say that being in an innovative environment ha- can have this life-changing 
effect on you. Many, many years later, we kind of go back and think about, man, I learned so much in those early days that's still totally applicable. This is why um, I think of how prone business is to fads and using the same language or new language to describe the same phenomenon. We do this kind of thing all the time. And, uh, but the, the basics you learn in that environment to me are very much still applicable. So something else I, I wanted to ask about is that what you were doing there to me is entrepreneurship absolutely at its core. And so that skill or that set of disciplines that you learn, you then apply in other contexts. So talk to me about, um, and this is what I mean, the, why I admire the pirate in you, is that you identify organizations you want to invest in both with your money and with your talent and your labor. And you tend to do that when they're pretty early on. How do you find those kinds of places? Well, we talked about this earlier. Proximity helps. So if, if you were um, in, in a place where that mindset is very much shared uh, among everybody, you're, you're, you're more likely to, to find like-minded people. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a, a quick example of places where it was not the case. Uh, and maybe the negative example is, is useful here. So after... After the, uh, the the power station, the growth power thing, I, I decided to take a job at uh, the, the one and only time in my career I worked at a hardware company. Uh, I decided to take, do you remember Unix? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I decided to take a job in Portland, Oregon, move my, my wife and one-year-old daughter across the country from, from Boston to, to Portland, Oregon, to take a job with sequent computer systems uh, as... Uh, you know they were uh, they had a specific flavor of Unix that happened to uh, run on multiple multi microprocessor uh, based machines, and the the reason for that is at the time relational databases were were, were new and they were they were kind of slow, and mm-hmm. the if you remember things like the uh, transaction processing council the TPC. Uh, mm-hmm. Benchmarks for things like banking applications. You know, check my balance. Uh, mm-hmm. So there was, well, so Sequent had at the time a uh, a version of Unix that that happened to run well on Intel microprocessors, but also machines that could have uh, many of them in in mm-hmm. inside. Mm-hmm. So the uh, not to get too deep in the weeds, but. Um, uh, I was motivated to to do this because of uh, I wanted to live in some some other place and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I, but I thought this was a really interesting thing. I could take my manufacturing background because mm-hmm. they wanted me to uh, to to join a group that would go out and look for applications, uh, software applications that they they could put in there catalog of software mm-hmm. applications and mm-hmm. uh, help the uh, the sales force and the distributors and so forth sell machines and if you if you have a computer and there's no software that runs on it they're harder to sell it mm-hmm. turns out mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. so um, my job was to go out and find manufacturing and financial applications that we could essentially uh, 
have ported and yeah. you know, tested and so forth to run on on the the, the sequent version of Unix. And um, that company sort of inhaled and took people from Silicon Valley and Boston and Texas mm-hmm. and New York. Mm-hmm. And so it, mm-hmm. it brought – and two years later, they exhaled. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know, almost two – well, certainly 1,200 to 2,000 people were let you – know, the reduction in force were let yeah. go in, uh, in a single day. And at that time – this is the early 90s now – the – the Portland, Oregon. Um, bear in mind, the web was not here yet. It yeah. was the internet mm-hmm. existed, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the web didn't. So there was no ability for that location, that proximity, to absorb all, all that, all that, uh, that experience and mm-hmm. uh, brain power. Mm-hmm. The, there were some. Few there were Tektronics, Mentor Graphics, Sequent Intel. There was a few big companies, but they were themselves yeah. going through this. Hey, there's a revolution coming of new kinds of technologies that are going to be smaller, less expensive than the boxes that all those companies were building. Yada mm-hmm. yada, and, mm-hmm. and so, there. So there was no, there was no no innovation factory happening. Yeah. Really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, Portland, of course, is. Vastly different today because mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the arrival of the web, um, mm-hmm. and there's far more smaller software companies, like, so forth. So I had I, I came back to to mm-hmm. Boston. So the, mm-hmm. the the reason I told you that story is you ask you know how do I choose? Yeah, and I I, I want to really say that a lot of the choice goes into where you are in the timing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that said, it's. Very difficult. It's a great question. It's difficult to answer because it's sort of like wine. Um, there's a lot of people that that uh, pontificate about wine, but for the most part, I think uh, that people drink the wine that they find that they like. So yeah. um, you have to, you have to be in a place where where, where the 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 ideas and the, and the people, there's enough of the ideas and, and people that you actually want to work with yeah. exist. And it's not always about the best idea, Tom. It's, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. more about the, the, the people that you find. Is, 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 I'm not saying that the idea is, is not important. Um, the job I took right after, after Sequent was with a software company based in Natick, Massachusetts, called Atria, A-T-R-I-A. And mm-hmm. the company was building, it was, it was an, a, a bunch of ex-Apollo computer mm-hmm. com- uh, people that were, build, they were building a software product for uh, basically version control uh, for very large development organizations that might be distributed all over the world. And... Uh, I had, you know, that's not like I set my sights. You know, I really, software configuration management is something I really want to do. It's uh, <laughs> because that's what, that's what the product was all about. Yeah, right. And I, but I had an opportunity to meet uh, the CEO of the company for dinner. And 
he was just you know when you meet someone you go wow this guy's really bright yeah. and mm-hmm. uh his 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 manner is more listen you know mm-hmm. more received mm-hmm. than transmit and and, yeah. uh, and curious um and creative in in the sense of being able to see sort of different I did the possibilities and different ideas because I, you know, I was not, uh, I was the, the 19th employee at that company, the, the second non-developer. Uh, the, the first person was the, the VP of sales and they wanted to hire me as the head of marketing. And uh, I also ran distribution ultimately, but mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, everyone else was, I mean, a super de- mm-hmm. developer. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember the first, the first day after my 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 first day, you know, after being hired, they, we, they were meeting, introducing me to, uh, to everybody, and they went around the room, and the person <laughs> they said, "Hi, I'm I'm so and so, and I'm in the database, and I'm in the back end, and I'm mm-hmm. front end." Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. like really? Okay. <laughs> so I realized I realized quite quickly that. Uh, this is just really techy stuff, and you were a rare breed. And, and but so it it wasn't the marketplace. It wasn't the the, the the there was an interesting what was what was what 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 it did it for me is that the the way uh, the CEO was able to describe the problem, yeah. which was when a lot of people are working on a code base together, it's hard. To keep everything together yeah. in a way yeah. that is manageable, and I said, I get it. That's yeah. It's a, it's it's sort of like that's such a superficial description of the problem and, right. and so forth. But it was the kind of it was the I what I react to is people who can describe something insanely technical, insanely yes. complicated right. in simple terms to to people. That's that bodes well for that's a person you want to work with, okay. and so I said, so I had a competing offer at that time, to, mm-hmm. and I said this is the company that I'm going to go with, and uh, I was right. The other company yeah. was Novell, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that so in Atria we went public and then merged and then you know, yada yada. But wow. uh, it's a, wow. it was wow. it was really being able to see myself working with this person yeah in a way that would make me feel that not just do it not just have a job yeah uh and get paid but mm-hmm. solving an interesting problem and 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 figuring out the things that we didn't know or that the company mm-hmm. didn't know they had mm-hmm. a lot of experience doing something similar at apollo they were going to do it again at their own company and try to improve upon it and yet it was it be able to be able to continue to react to what the customer the marketplace was mm-hmm. saying and and mm-hmm. continue to evolve so it was it was that kind of sense of we're open to anything we 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 have mm-hmm. this idea but we're mm-hmm. open to anything and mm-hmm. we're going to make it easy for people to understand um i mean the first trade show i went to you the 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 product existed the ui of the product existed as a blinking cursor on a Sun mm-hmm. Microsystems workstation, mm-hmm. and we would run a build of Hello World. 
program, mm-hmm. and and then we would look at the logs. So I mean, <laughs> if if you know of like the the make dot c whatever it was, yeah. uh, it, it, the the compiler, and mm-hmm. they'll go through and. I mean, are you kidding me? That's yeah, no, so, people were so like, there was really nothing substantial about the product. It was all conceptual, and mm-hmm. the those those problems or an environment like that when it's it's hey, we really have to figure out a way to explain something that, you, that to, to people that is hard that is hard to see visually yeah. Yeah. Uh, to uh, to get them to understand that that was very attractive to me. So I always I, love, te- I always tended to look for that. As, as soon as you described the problem they were solving, I, I started to get tingles. I was like, this thing is going to kill it. <laughs> it oh, and it did. <laughs> it did. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it, it was very, very successful. When we finally mm-hmm. launched the product mm-hmm. after two years of development, mm-hmm. um, and this was all C++. Yeah. Um, mostly. And uh, it, the it was – it it did very well. Yeah, I mean, if if you have the right person's ear and you say to them, oh, you know that problem you have with distributed coders, I'm going to solve that. They go really, because that that's a problem that they're um they're absolutely aware of. I mean, it's right there in their face, and they have no idea how to solve it. They're trying probably trying to solve it through process or solving it through just some uh, awkward great way. Point. That that was that I would say our biggest competitor, if you will, was the investment in process that people had yeah. made. Mm-hmm. And they, so they, they probably felt really proud of, hey, we've solved this you know, with people, and so we have a good discipline, and it's not an issue for us. It's like, well, what if you could throw all that process out? You didn't need to do any of it anymore. Wouldn't that kind of free up your time to do other things? That can be a difficult sale, particularly to the person who invented the process, because you know they're extremely proud, and you couldn't possibly have automated this better than what they do. Great point, because sometimes those those people were one and the same. They were yeah. they're responsible mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for the organization as like a uh, you know VP of engineering or head mm-hmm. of engineering or mm-hmm. something like that, mm-hmm. and uh, yet they were sort of far far somewhat removed from day-to-day coding so their mm-hmm. work it, it was mostly in mm-hmm. layers of process and mm-hmm. uh, of which they were justifiably proud but mm-hmm. couldn't really stand up to the to the impact of having something so mm-hmm. uh so new to mm-hmm. for, for, for them uh i mean it's fascinating to me because like this this is a a a technically savvy buyer. This is an IT person. Oh my god! But misunder- misunderstanding that automation is the heart of IT. That's what we do. We take manual processes and we automate them. I mean, that's just that AI in essence is automating manual processes. It's just mm-hmm. doing cognitive processes rather than physical processes. Uh, and that my understanding is a lot of the way that we teach. Uh, AI is through brute force, where you you give it a pattern and it executes that pattern against a large set of data, and then comes back and says, "Okay, this this is what I found. Oh, we can build a new pattern with what you found." That is automating cognitive processes. And um, anyway, it's just fascinating to me that um, the it's it's you know the buyer is looking into a mirror. 
and they see you know the future in that mirror, but they're like, I like what I did. <laughs> you know? yeah. it's like, I, like, right. I like the past. Well, you also mentioned in the in the question that led to that, Tom, mm-hmm. was how, how do you know how to invest? Uh, yeah. It, mm-hmm. the, and initially, we were talking about investing ourselves in, in something. And, mm-hmm. uh, but you, there, there are certainly listeners, out there, you know, that, that, where do I put my money? Um, yeah. And it's convenient to say, well, Find out you know, if the if the person that you're considering doing this with, and and, and this I think this is is the a corollary or it's the other side of the coin to how do you make mm-hmm. a choice for you know, choosing to work at one company or another. Mm-hmm. If people have done something in the past, in in the very mm-hmm. recent past that has mm-hmm. either garnered um, notoriety, I mean, sort of uh, sort of. Uh, Notoriety, yeah. If, if they're if they're somewhat famous for for doing something similar well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that people know about, or they've attracted in uh, in investors in the past, or and so forth, or th- those are those are good. Because but but they don't always exist because yeah. in today's world, there's so many uh, entrepreneurs that don't have that track record to 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 bank on. I mean the the. Decision I made in that case was, yeah, they'd already had two blue chip VCs, and uh, mm-hmm, these these people mm-hmm. were all from another company. It, it, I guess it's debatable whether people think of, of of Apollo Computer as a successor or not. But they were all they they did something that was had uh, that 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 garnered a great deal of technical respect by mm-hmm, uh, by mm-hmm. by the world, and they had so there's. If you can find that, great, but it's not always there. And mm-hmm. so then it comes down to, do I trust my gut about the people? And yeah. so luckily, in this case, it was sort of both. The, mm-hmm. the, the CEO was the kind of person I said, you know, okay, he's a, he's a real techie. You know, it's a, a, a double E from MIT and, mm-hmm. and so forth. But he's got this mindset of, or he's 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 got a sort of a way of thinking that that is 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 not always just associated with I'm going to sit down and code this. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. Um, you have to you have to be able to hopefully your you you your gut is a good barometer of mm-hmm. the, the the people that you that you meet because it's it's not always going to there's not always going to be a track record it's not always going mm-hmm. to to mm-hmm. be uh, something that is that you can point to and saying hey this sort of hedges my bet a little bit yeah. um and and i think that's the harder thing to do is when someone comes with a with a brand new idea right. that uh, or, or the person is has an idea that might be uh, you know sort of the continuation of things mm-hmm. but themselves mm-hmm. they haven't done, haven't haven't done it before mm-hmm. um, i don't know it's it, it, so i have a um i have a uh, schematic i'll go through when i analyze uh, a new company and i'm looking at the origin of it um and i'll use it for the examples that you've given so the one that didn't work out to me, had started out as a an investment thesis, which is if we can create a more powerful set of hardware, we will attract people to our platform. 
And we will achieve something the market has not been able to achieve, which is to meet these standards for financial transactions. We've struggled. We have a solution for that. It's a hardware-based solution. All we got to do is attract the software to us. And the, the assumption there is that the market's going to come to us. People are going to be willing to rebuild their software. They're going to be willing to, to use multiprocessor machines. That's a gigantic lift. I think those, when you go into a business and you assume, okay, we think we know what's going to happen, that's a real problem. I'd much rather have you have a deep understanding of one thing than you think you have sort of a shallow understanding of a lot of different things. To me, that one sounded like it was maybe a deep, deep understanding of hardware and their proprietary. The other thing is they went into an island. They became proprietary. You've got to be on, on our box and design for how our box runs, that's a huge ask to get people to come to that. So the one that that's the uh, the guys from Apollo, they were scratching their own itch, which to me tends to be that's a really, really good place to start a company. I think Wistia might have started kind of scratching their own itch to a degree. Um, and when you when you understand a problem as a customer, then you have an authority to be able to answer that problem in a way someone who's purely an investor doesn't. So I really like those kinds of uh, startups. Then there's the other way is people are friends. So they, uh, I interviewed a, a guy the other day who started a, a web hosting business with a friend from high school because they were just you know two computer geek guys and this was something that was fun. And I think that can be also, Microsoft was essentially founded that way. Um, and so I think it's that is also a a, a positive origin. Yeah, that, I think I think those those are those are great examples. I do um, I do agree with you about your point about the the idea of creating a platform and, tra and attracting to people to it is is probably more difficult than it doesn't mean it can't happen sure. or anything like that. But uh, there's, there's every there's social media platform did right. That. There's plenty of examples of that that have been successful. Um, it's 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 it is it was like that with with uh, with sequent you know getting people to port if you will to mm -hmm. it was uh, luckily we had uh, they had uh, mm -hmm. the, this this new business called uh, relational databases and they were all clamoring to just have their database run faster than mm -hmm. than transactional mm -hmm. databases and uh, or network databases and um, so there was there was I think a a bit of a seismic shift in the marketplace that was going yeah. on that was moving people mm -hmm. along with you. But I think mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. It's it's harder to say, hey, we have this sort of horizontal or this uh, this flat platform, for the lack of a better term, mm -hmm. and it can do many things, but we have to have stuff on it. Uh, yeah. Versus, you asked, you know, Wistia, yeah, Wistia was, was started because it was scratching a very specific mm -hmm. itch. Uh, mm -hmm. there, there are, the first customer was a medical devices company, and they, their medical device happened to be a uh, gastro, uh, a GI sleeve that was administered by uh, an endoscope. Mm -hmm. And the an endoscope has, among other things, uh, the ability to capture video, mm -hmm. and. They had to the 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 uh, patient trials were happening all over the world, and they had to have a way to securely and privately uh, move these uh, not, not only 
move the files, but to sort of share the videos among among the um, uh, the, the surgeons that were a part of the trial, so that they could see each case and and so forth. And it there were HIPAA issues, and mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. You, you had to make sure that you were not disclosing patient information, which is basically what HIPAA is. Mm-hmm. And so they were looking for a way to do that, and. Um, you know, at the time, you talk about sort of the the timing. At the time, I think Google had just bought YouTube for you know a lot of money. A lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was six billion. So people were saying, "You're going to do mm-hmm. that? You're going to do what with video yeah. on the web?" Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we said, "So the the it was a the intention behind mm-hmm. Wistia was mm-hmm. insanely specific, laser focused, uh, mm-hmm. specific. It was uh, the exact opposite, if you will, mm-hmm. of YouTube mm-hmm. and the, the to the casual observer, video on the web, YouTube style and video on the web, early Wistia style, mm-hmm. the, the the distinction was minimal because it was mm-hmm. they, they they stopped sort of listening, if you will, or maybe understanding uh, based on they hear video on the web. So mm-hmm. one thing just got bought by Google and is taking over. So why would you do something? So. Mm-hmm. Um, not to toot my horn, but the, the, that example is true of many, many things. That there's, mm-hmm. uh, it's taking um, or, or or doing something in the face of what seems like insurmountable odds, but because it's 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 different enough and in, intentional enough, like you said, the the mm-hmm. focus. It's the chances for an entrepreneur to be successful with something like that. Uh, is actually far greater than you might imagine. Yeah. Now, one thing is you could ride the coattails of YouTube telling everybody what video on the web was. And then as they learned about YouTube, they're going to start to go, well, that's not going to do what I need. And it's like, bing. Right. One of the, <laughs> I wish I I wish I could have made this, uh, this expression up, but there's a well-traveled mm-hmm. cliche expression whatever in mm-hmm. marketing called be the same before you're being before you can different so yeah. hey we're just like that mm-hmm. but we're different and yeah. mm-hmm. what it does th- this is by the way how every movie in hollywood gets pitched mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just like uh mm-hmm. goodfellas but mm-hmm. it's got a little bit of casablanca you know, it's, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. They, that's how they that's how they pitch movies because mm-hmm. they will only get engagement mm-hmm. by people with money if mm-hmm. they can say it's like something that they already know, and that is that that expression has served me very well, Tom, mm-hmm. in my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, be the same before you're different. Before you're different. So let's, um, our last few minutes, it's a great transition to talk about sales. Um, you're one of the most interesting salespeople I've, I've ever met. Um, and one of the things, and I don't know if you think about yourself as a salesperson. Let me start yes, there. Yes, I do. do. You, th- you do? I do. What makes a salesperson? <laughs> mm. Oh, my gosh. What a great, great question. Um we don't have time enough to, to, <laughs> to, to, but here's what I will tell you. The, the prevailing, and I'll call it a myth uh, of, mm-hmm. of what it takes to be a great, great salesman is not what it takes to be a great salesman. And the mm-hmm. prevailing myth is this. 
you have to be an extrovert. You have to be a people mm -hmm. person or uh, you have to be Don Draper in Mad Men or mm -hmm. something. It's, that's just, I believe research has shown this, but it's certainly in my experience, that's not the case. To mm -hmm. be a great, to, to be successful in sales and therefore be a salesperson mm -hmm. or, or think of yourself as a salesperson, you look at the people that are successful and they have all sorts of different personality traits, uh, mm -hmm. mindsets, uh, backgrounds. Mm -hmm. It's not about the things that the unfortunate stereotype that's reinforced by things like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross movie, mm -hmm. um, let's, leads everyone to believe. So what makes a great salesperson is someone who is, first of all, willing to say, I'm in sales. Mm -hmm. And to, I'm going to do whatever it takes to try to figure out a way to help people. And the way you're helping is they make a decision to buy something. Mm -hmm. And if, if you... It, it, the the best, in my opinion, the best salespeople are are the folks that I don't care whether they're extroverts, introverts, somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. uh, if they're if if they can figure out a way to to understand that it's it's not about them and it's right. about some it's about the buyer and mm -hmm. all you're doing is helping them make that decision. Mm -hmm. That's 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 a person that I think has the characteristics that will uh, that I call uh, mm -hmm. at least has the, the the ability to be a great salesperson. Mm -hmm. um, I like to think of um, I like that answer a lot, and it, um, I like to think of um, the ideal form of selling selling is an act of love. I'm going to give you something. You're going to, you're going to buy something, but you're going to get something of greater value in return. So you give me something, you get more back. That, to me, sounds like an act of love. But I have to approach that from what I'm looking for are the right people who, are a, who will benefit from what I'm offering. And so, to me, a fast no is the second best answer to a yes. Absolutely. The, think, of, think of the poor salesperson that spends 11 months on a sale and gets told mm -hmm. no. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's such a shame. It's such mm -hmm. a shame for certainly the salesperson themselves and mm -hmm. her her organization, but also the buyer. Think of mm -hmm. all the time invested uh, with that mm -hmm. vendor. Uh, it, it's a fast no is absolutely. Mm -hmm. so it, I, I will say that the the decision that 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 it, there there. Now, all my experience has been in B2B sales, mm -hmm. that people mm -hmm. call it enterprise sales. It, it, I've never worked in a store. I've mm -hmm. never uh, – you know, where a, tra you know, a transaction is – the person comes in, are, are they buying something or not? I, I've yeah, never yeah. worked in, in those kinds of environments. So I do understand that, that sales is uh, – the, the, the world of sales, the context of sales has a great deal of variability to it. So I, I will say that, however, that despite – that variability or the, in the, the different shades, if you will, the, the folks, and I think your, your point about 
uh, an act of love, I would add to that. Let's say mm-hmm. it, it's an act of trust, an establishment yeah. of tr- of trust. And I think in all loving relationships, there there is trust. Um, and in all trusted relationships, there's probably a mm-hmm. little dollop, mm-hmm. at least, of love. Mm-hmm. Uh, they it may not be thought of by the by the parties mm-hmm. in, <laughs> in, in those in those terms, in term. <laughs> but uh, but you're right it, because what I have learned is that uh, the when when someone makes a decision to buy, uh, it's more based on emotion something that's emotional than mm-hmm. it is just intellectual, oh, this thing is better than that thing, or mm-hmm. less money, or you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. has more features, and, and, and maybe that's the better. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, there's, there's a, 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 an emotional, uh, compo- a, a, I believe it's the lion's share of it, and mm-hmm. it, it's a, a feeling, the, the buyer tends to feel like, I have learned something through this process that I didn't it, it was perhaps unexpected, and this person has helped me in in learn that my you know the the salesperson. That's th- those are those are really uh, key fundamental differences in 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 something that you'd say is a successful sale mm-hmm. to. And I've seen plenty of sales made where the, the absence of love and trust, is, you know, it's, it's, there. It's, 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 it's certainly that happens. It's, it's hard to repeat that consistently. Yeah. Right. Uh, it, it's very, very difficult to do that. People marry uh, other people that they don't love. You know, sure. But they don't, and, those don't end well. Same thing with sales. So, uh, such a great question, Tom, because the 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 answer is so. And by the way, the 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 answer to that question is uh, will be all over the map from yeah. to whom you, who posed that question. Yeah. And uh, I still feel that the the kind of mindset that I have about it, and the answers that uh, that I would tend to uh, to talk about and, and and give, are still in the minority. In, out yeah. there in in the uh, in, in the in the in the world, the, uh, the 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 these myths and the the style of management and yeah. the training and the motivations uh, the the uh, comp plans even still are propping up old outdated points of view and behaviors uh, of sales organizations, regardless of whether they're B2B, B2C, or Mm -hmm. uh, transactional, long-term, you know, it's a, Mm -hmm. um, but I do feel that pendulum is slowly shifting to, it's, we can't keep doing the, the, the same things badly and, and call ourselves, you know, a good sales force. Yeah, or a good salesperson. Right, doing a lot of the wrong thing doesn't make it better. Right, right. Um, this has really been fun. I, I so appreciate um, your time with me today, and it makes me think of a lot of stuff I want to follow up on. So we'll, we'll have to have a second okay. episode. Well, I can't tell you how much I enjoy this. It's great to see your face, and it's yeah. uh, great to talk to you. I. And see your basement, of course. But uh, yeah, no, fascinating stuff. The the uh, 
I will, I will, I, I'll just leave you with, you know, I'm not the only person that thinks this way, but I, mm-hmm. I think that I, you know, you, you mentioned that, that, uh, that you, that you, you, you found my, my thinking to be interesting and engaging. I, I, I do believe truthfully that there's, there's other people that think this way. Um, I will specifically call out Andy Paul. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know him. Mm-mm. Andy Paul, andypaul.com. Uh, he wrote a book uh, recently called Selling Without Selling Out. Highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of the good thinkers, in my view, in the world of sales. And, and, and there's, everybody's a sales expert, but I yes. really like him. Mm-hmm. Not, not only not only do I really like him, I, I, I really like the way he thinks and the way he talks about uh, the world of sales and so forth. So I, I would highly recommend you um, you check him out. The uh, anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. Thank you. Fortune's Path Podcast is a production of Fortune's Path, where we work with technology companies to build healthy product cultures that power monopoly profits. You can catch old episodes of the Fortune's Path Podcast and learn more about us at fortunespath.com. Special thanks to Adam Zace for being our guest. Music and editing of the Fortune's Path Podcast are by my son, Ted Noser. I'm Tom Noser. Thanks for listening, and I hope we meet along Fortune's Path.